Good morning and welcome. My name is Craig. I'm the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us as we've gathered together to worship the Lord. If you have your Bibles, in just a minute we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 25. So I would invite you to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 25. While you're turning there, let me just share a couple of um, uh, announcements. That's the word I'm looking for. A couple of announcements with you this morning. Um, First off, if you're a guest with us, if you've visited with us once or 20 times, but you're interested in what it might look like, to uh, become a member here. We do have a Next Steps class this or a week from today on the 20th at 4 o'clock. I would invite you to be a part of that with us. No commitment there, but you get a chance to meet with me and sit down and talk about what a member of Malvern Hill looks like and what your next steps would be. So I'd invite you to be a part of that. Um, do want to remind you that inside of your worship folder, for those of you who are members of Malvern Hill, uh, there is a deacon ballot so that you can vote for up to eight men to serve on the coming deacon term. So uh, please do that and then just drop it in the offering plate on your way out today and we'll count those uh, later on. So please do that. Finally, this morning, um, inside of your worship guide, there is another guide, a prayer walk guide. And uh, for many years now at Malvern Hill, we've done this. We have taken time, uh, made time actually, to pray for our local schools. And so there's a prayer guide in there to help you do that. And that is set aside. We set aside time to do that this evening. So I would encourage you to make time this afternoon to pray for your local schools. You may do that through um, uh, any, any way it means possible. If you want to get together with a whole bunch of people and go and do that, or if you just want to drive to a local school and do that, we've had all sorts of different ways it took place. We've had folks that have gotten together and tried to hit all the schools in the county. My family will not be able to do that this afternoon. We will hit three or four. But however it is that you do that, I just encourage you to pray for our schools. I know that uh, for most students in Kershaw County, they've already started school about a week and a half ago. But I also know that teachers, administrators are thrilled to death for all the prayers they can get no matter when we offer them. So uh, if you would like to uh, put uh, po- post pictures about that or something on social media. Please tag our church in it. That would help us just to be able to see those and celebrate what uh, God's doing in our community. So please uh, make plans to do those things. All right. Having said that, if you have your Bible, hopefully you've already made it to Acts chapter 25. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We're not going to read quite all of that that was on the screen. We're going to read verses 23 through chapter 26, verse 3. Hear now, for this is the word of the Lord. The Bible says, So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death, And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you and all, uh, and especially before you you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for loving us and thank you for this word. Father, we trust that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful. And I pray, Lord God, you'd show us its use for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much. 
You know, we, we tend to often look on politics as a bad thing, but not all politics are bad. I mean, sure, we may look at politicians and certainly be appropriately frustrated with the decisions that some politicians make or the things that some politicians do. Um, but what about politics just in terms of uh, a conversation about the way that we handle or manipulate a particular situation? Sometimes we can speak to a scenario or a situation in a way that is maybe political and that we are just speaking and using words in such a way to help us to accomplish a, a desired means uh, or a desired end. Now, some people just kind of grab onto their pride and they dig in and they refuse. They say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak a certain way. This is who I am and I'm just going to be me. Uh, well, the reality is sometimes we allow our pride to get in the way of us being effective in our communication. We're, we're unwilling to budge a little bit just so that somebody might be willing to hear us or be willing to engage with us. Uh, one of my favorite political um, strategists, and now he's gone on to become a political commentator, is James Carville. And if you know anything about James Carville, James Carville was, uh, is a Democratic strategist, and he was the uh, lead Democratic strategist in 1992 when Bill Clinton was elected. Bill, um, James Carville got so tired of people walking into his office and asking what this campaign would be about that he finally had a sign made, and that sign said, it's the economy, stupid. And that's been James Carville's sort of... Um, popular and, and, and famous saying since 1992. If you Google, it's the economy stupid, a picture of James Carville pops up. He, he's well known for that statement. And, and what James Carville is known for really more than anything else is his ability to cut through sort of the political jargon and get down to the brass tacks. A lot of times people get into politics because they have really good ideas or really good reasons, but over time they end up in Washington or they end up somewhere else. And once they get there, they lose touch with people like me and you that don't live where they live. They lose touch with people on Main Street. They lose touch with people who are having to make their ends meet and do all those other things. James Carville's gift was to remind politicians over and over and over again that you can have all these lofty goals when it's all said and done. If you're going to make an impact, you've got to make an impact at the local level, in people's pocketbooks, and in people's homes. Okay? Now listen, if we're not careful as Christians, we become this sort of form of Christian politician. Here's what I mean by that. We become Christians who get so caught up in our own Christian language, our own Christianese, we get so caught up in the, our own Christian preferences and desires that we can lose sight of the main thing. We can lose the ability or the desire to kind of keep the main thing the main thing. But the Apostle Paul never got into that place in his life. Over and over, repeatedly, the Apostle Paul found a way to get back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we find ourselves, if you haven't been with us, you don't know, so let me just tell you. We've been preaching through the book of Acts now for quite a long period of time. And in our effort to preach through the book of Acts, we've made it to the place we are right now. And what you've seen over the last few weeks is that Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. And after being arrested in Jerusalem, uh, Paul uh, ends up being kind of from, from, uh, from, jury, from trial to trial to trial. And he goes from Jerusalem to Caesarea. And there he stands before a guy named Festus. And Festus is just sort of a bonehead and doesn't really know what's going on. And so Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. Well, that's all well and good. Paul has the right to do that as a Roman citizen. But Festus finds himself in an awkward situation because Festus knows that he kind of has to do what Paul asked. 
but he doesn't exactly know what he's supposed to say. And so Festus finds himself feeling very grateful when Agrippa shows up on the scene. And King Agrippa gets there and he says, hey, I got this guy Paul that I'd really like you to spend some time with. What Festus knows about Agrippa, and just hang on, I know we're getting into the weeds with a lot of history right here. But what Festus knows about Agrippa is that Agrippa is very familiar with the Jewish people. And so he says, look, you're, you know the Jews, you know their customs and their language and their traditions. And so I got this guy, Paul, who's made a lot of these Jews mad, but I don't really understand what's going on. I'd appreciate it if you'd be willing to listen to what he has to say. And that maybe as a result of that, you could help me to craft a report that we could send on to Caesar with Paul. And so Agrippa says, all right, I'll hear it. And so that's where we pick up this morning is with Agrippa and Bernice walking in and being seated. And once they're seated, you've got all these other people, the tribunals. You've got, you've got these military guards. You've got pomp and circumstance. You've got all this stuff that's just, just fancy and crazy and wild. And they've got their crowns and they've got maybe their feather boas. I don't know what all they have, but what they have is everything that you could imagine that celebrates sort of their royalty and their majesty. And then in walks Paul, chained, shabby, probably unshaven, maybe unclean. And here he stands before Agrippa and Bernice to make his defense. And in this particular place, what I want us to see this morning is that the Apostle Paul practices some pretty good politics because the Apostle Paul does not gratify his fleshly desires in this particular place, but instead works diligently to get to the gospel. And folks, we've got to be willing this morning. The question we're answering and wrestling with is, who are you speaking to? Which I get is really bad English grammar. What I should have said is, to whom are you speaking? But most of y'all don't talk that way, so we're going to get it right down to where we are. A lot of times we think that the only person we're speaking to is the person we're looking at. But the Apostle Paul understood that he was speaking to Agrippa and he was speaking to Bernice. But he was also speaking to maybe hundreds of other eyeballs and ears who were gathered in that place listening to what he had to say. And you have the opportunity day in and day out, week in and week out. To clearly communicate God's goodness and God's love to the people around you. But sometimes we're going to have to be willing to play a little bit of politics and to put our own desires on the back burner instead to do whatever it takes to communicate the good news of the gospel. But how do we get there? The first thing this morning that we've got to make sure that we do is we avoid divisiveness. We avoid divisiveness. Now, you say, exactly why did Paul need to do that and what did it matter? I didn't give you the full story about this Agrippa guy. This Agrippa guy has his, his position as a king. It's an appointed position from Rome, but he gets it as, as sort of a family inheritance. His dad was, was another guy, and his dad was a guy that you actually know. You just don't know it, but in Acts chapter 19, it was his dad who killed the apostle James and imprisoned Peter. It was his dad who set himself up as being basically a god and that Acts 19 tells us that he was cursed by the Lord and he died. That was his dad. It was his uncle. Um, it was his uncle who, if you read in Matthew about the flight from Egypt, you remember Mary and Joseph, they take the baby and they, in a dream they run to Egypt. And the Bible teaches us that following their departure, what happens, there's, there's this mass murder of babies. Okay, They're in Bethlehem and, and as a result, who was it? It was, it, was, it was his uncle that brings that about. This is the family 
This is the family of the man that Paul is standing before today. He's not standing in front of a really sweet grandpa. He's standing in front of a guy who has a history of not caring for and and really and truly a history of, of just the opposite of attacking the Jewish people and the Christian people. This is a guy who's concerned only for his own position and his own power. Oh, and by the way, that's not all. Remember, there's a lady named Bernice with him. Now, you don't know who Bernice is, uh, so I'm going to tell you. Bernice was Agrippa's sister. Um, But the historian Josephus tells us that she wasn't just his sister, that rumors persisted in Rome that she was actually his incestuous lover. That over and over and over again, you've got multiple times, you've got Bernice being acquainted with a man here or a man there, but regularly she's leaving that, seeking divorce, and she's coming back. And this is the rumor that runs through Rome. Okay, This is the rumor that these are the people that Paul is standing before. And in this particular place, there's got to be a desire on Paul's part To really let them hold it. I don't know if y'all are like me, but I know for me personally, when I feel attacked, I don't generally immediately desire to make peace. As a matter of fact, when I feel attacked, I know what it's like to have that carnal desires rise up within me. Don't you? Like, we know specifically what it is because we feel our blood pressure rise. We feel everything. And look, I wish I could tell y'all that I hide it very well, but this is a challenge for me. I have a problem in my life that I have to fight against. And the problem is that my face registers all of my emotions. And sometimes when I get frustrated, um, all kind of things. My, my eyes get big and glazed over. My, my, these little veins pop out in my neck. And there's probably one in my head somewhere, especially since I don't have that much hair anymore. It probably just shows through. Um, I, I've, I've even looked down and noticed I got really angry. And I can actually just see these little veins begin to pop out on my arm. I don't mean for that to happen, but it does. I have to work against that. See, there's a defensiveness that I just want to go and and when I feel attacked I want to return the favor I can't help but believe that the apostle Paul probably battled with some of those same fleshly desires and for us when we're trying to talk to somebody about Jesus talk to somebody about our Christian convictions and they don't share those same desires man it can be really easy for us just to come back swinging right we got to fight against that. Why? Because the goal is to share the gospel, not to win an argument. The goal is to share the gospel, not to win an argument. Do You know, it really doesn't do us any good to win an argument if in so doing we drive somebody away from Jesus. It doesn't do us any good. Very few people have ever shown up at this church because they got in an argument with me and lost. And they're like, well, I mean, I saw Craig lose his mind and yell at me, so I think I'll show up at church today. I don't know anybody that ever came because I yelled at him. Don't talk about my preaching. It gets a little loud, but we'll just, we'll just forget about that part. Uh, I don't know anybody that ever came into church because one of y'all yelled at him. That's, I've never encountered that. Maybe, maybe that's happened and I'm just not aware. Listen, if one of y'all are here because somebody yelled at you other than your mama, tell me afterwards so I'll know what I did wrong. But y'all, we've got to be willing to avoid defensiveness. And that's not easy. But watch, what does Paul do? Paul walks in and he says, so Agrippa, uh, excuse me, he says, I consider myself fortunate before you. He doesn't just avoid defensiveness, like he just begins to lavish him with praise. 
I feel so lucky to be standing right here. Now, Paul could say that without lying. Because he certainly did feel fortunate to be standing not only before Agrippa, for, before whom he could speak, but certainly before all of these other people who were gathered. Now, history has a unique way of playing with us. Agrippa and Bernice show up in all their pomp and all their fantastic clothing. And here Paul is, shabby. And how does history view this scenario? History views this scenario with, if, with little... If, if, if tradition holds, by the way... Tradition has it that Paul was a relatively small man, probably with poor eyesight, maybe walked with a limp. This is not a real healthy looking guy. And there he stands, you know, with a two-week beard, with a worn-out clothing and in chains. And yet history has Paul looking like the adult and everybody else in this room looking like childish adults. Paul looking like the man with hope and life. And with wisdom and everybody else just seeming so immature. It's incredible. But how does Paul get there? Paul doesn't get there by coming out swinging from, from the, from the get-go. Paul gets there by initially working to avoid defensiveness. To try his best to meet Agrippa somewhere else. So first of all, we've got to avoid defensiveness. The second thing this morning, seek to engage in conversation. Seek to engage in conversation. I, I, looked up a list this week of the top 10 interviewers in sort of modern American culture. Um, and uh, the first list I opened, I didn't recognize any names on it, so I just closed that one and went on to the next one. Um, but uh, the second list was filled with people that I knew. And um, three of those top 10 interviewers, one of them was Barbara Walters. Yeah, see that, right? One of them was Oprah Winfrey. Um, and one of them was Howard Stern. Howard Stern actually made the top on that list, which I thought was a bit odd. Um, but I began to dig in and figure out why did people see these folks as being really good interviewers, okay? So first of all, they, they ask good questions. And that, of course, is a big part of it. you got to be willing to ask good questions, sometimes to ask hard questions. But the second thing was that these people were empathetic listeners. If you're going to be a good interviewer, you have to do more than just throw out questions. You have to actually have an interest in the answers that are going to come your way. There's got to be a real conversation. There's got to be real conversation. One of the things that I believe we've done wrong in evangelicalism is that a lot of times we've sort of painted this idea that a gospel presentation was a one-sided thing. That we're just throwing the gospel at people. Now folks, I want you to give them the gospel. But I want to make sure that we're inviting conversation in our gospel presentations. And watch, a conversation requires listening as well as speaking. Why do we often not engage in conversation in our gospel presentations? Folks, the reality is that we're a little bit afraid of that. We're a little fearful. It's a whole lot easier for me just to throw it at you and then just walk away than it is for me to invite you to engage in conversation. Because when you begin to ask me questions, you might ask a question that I don't have the answer to. Folks, I, I want you to know, number one, it's okay if you don't have the answers. I don't have all the answers. But here's what I want to encourage you and assure you of. This book has the answers. I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable with you being concerned 
about your knowledge, but what you don't need to be concerned about is whether or not this book will stand up to the scrutiny of others. You're never going to share Christ with anyone and then come at you with questions about this book that this book cannot bear up under. I have no doubts about this book. It's been the best-selling book in all of history. It is the most studied book in the entire world. And yet in all of those years and all those efforts to study it, by all those efforts at times to undermine it, this book continues to be true. And it will. Jesus promised us that not one word, not even a jot or a tittle, not even the punctuation marks of this are going to pass away. And if that's Jesus' promise, then we can take it to the bank. So I want you to engage in conversation without fear. It's okay. Let them ask all the questions they want. All right? We're not trying to hide something. We're not a cult. We don't have to worry that somebody might ask us a question. They can ask anything they want, and we're going to trust God to be able to answer it. So seek to engage in conversation. Second this morning, in that concept, in that idea, play the long game. Be willing to walk away if you have to. Now, we've got Paul saying, hey, um, I am going to make my defense today against all these accusations. But watch, especially because, why was he grateful? He says, I'm grateful because that I stand before you, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you, listen to me patiently. Do, do you understand that even as Paul's saying this and seeking to sort of engage Agrippa beyond just a one-sided conversation, Paul's sort of wrapping this in a little bit of flowery language. Okay, Here's what Paul is not afraid to do. Paul is not afraid to put his own sort of desires, put his own feelings on the back burner for the sake of accomplishing something greater. He's willing to actually engage in conversation with somebody, you ready, that he probably doesn't like. He's willing to have a conversation with somebody he does not like. Or at the very least with someone who is very, very different from him. We talked about this in recent weeks. We've got to make certain that regardless of who the person is that we're talking to, that we see them as they actually are, as an image bearer of God, worthy of love and care and respect. Folks, if we're going to make an impact for the gospel beyond the walls of this church, in this community and beyond, if we're going to continue to make an impact, if we're going to make an ever-growing impact, we're going to have to do so by engaging in conversations with people who are very different from us, who are very different from you. You're going to have to do it by engaging in conversations with people who disagree with you. You're going to have to do it by engaging in conversations with people with whom you disagree. Occasionally, you might even have to have a conversation with somebody who, if you're just being totally honest, you just don't like them. But there's something more important. There's something more important than your visceral feelings about that person. And you've got to be willing to put your feelings aside long enough to engage in a conversation. Paul didn't walk in with guns blazing and go, You killed my friends. Or your dad killed my friends. Or I know what your uncle did. Or you're living with your sister. You're in sin. All of those statements would be true. All of those statements would be true. 
And yet Paul was willing to wait. I'm going to try and say this. I'm not sure I can get this out. So hold on. I'm going to see if I can make this make sense. Just, just real quick. Sometimes we can get so caught up on I have to speak the truth that we buy the lie that we have to speak all the truth all the time at every possible opportunity. Okay? Now if we back up to the side we were just on where we're playing the long game, we're patient, we're willing to walk away sometimes. You say, Craig, how would I walk away from somebody who needs the gospel? That person that you're trying to engage in conversation, let's say it's your sister-in-law. Maybe you and your sister-in-law just can't get there. It doesn't matter. Every time you talk with her about it, you, the two of you just, just mix like oil and water. You desperately desire to give her the gospel, but the reality is once y'all get started, everything else gets in the way. You know, there's politics and there's this and there's that, and the next thing you know, like the two of you are at each other's throat. Sometimes you just got to be willing to walk away and play the long game. But the other part of walking away and playing the long game is sometimes you've got to be willing to put some truth up on the shelf for the sake of focusing on the thing that really matters. And y'all, we got to get over this idea that everything matters. The gospel matters. And we can share the gospel and trust in the power of Jesus to take care of everything else. The reality is we avoid conversations because there are other things that get in the way of us actually liking these people. And I decide that I'm going to focus on something else. Folks, let's be willing to set aside a lot of other things until we can get to Jesus. Paul looked at Agrippa and said, I'm glad to be here. And then he just runs straight to the gospel. Y'all, sometimes we just got to get to the gospel. And then worry about the details later. Seek to engage in conversation. And third this morning, I want to encourage you to remember a watching world. Have you ever encountered one of those grocery store crazy people? You know what I'm talking about? Um, let me explain if you don't know. It's like the person that decides they're going to have an absolute meltdown in the checkout line because their coupon didn't get honored or because they wouldn't take back the pack of opened meat that they brought back. I mean, like we've all seen them and it's just mind-blowing. You know, they walk in and it's like, I bought this chicken four days ago and I want you to, and it's, what? It's chicken. I don't you can you bring meat back? I'm not entirely sure. Maybe, I don't know. I was confused. But, but then what happens is they, they begin to get frustrated and, and, and they begin to engage in a conversation with the person at the checkout counter perhaps and then they demand to speak to the manager. And that person is focused only on that checkout person and then the manager and they're just, just spewing all of their vitriol at that person. But here's what are you doing. You're just standing back going, I can't believe I'm here to see all this happen. Like you're just standing back and you look around and everybody in the store is watching. Now that person has begotten, become so tunnel vision that they don't even see it. People pulled out their phones, they're filming, you know, they're screaming and, and they're yelling because they want their money back or they want the rain check. That's my favorite one. They want the rain check. I love the rain check people. I mean, I like a rain check too, but I mean, they just get excited about this stuff. And, and, and you're just sitting back. Here, here's what. There's an entire world that's watching this go down. And this person has forgotten because the only thing they see is an opponent in front of them that they are trying to overcome and defeat. Folks, if we are going to be positive witnesses for Christ, 
A big part of what we have to do is when we are called to defend our faith, we've got to do so by avoiding defensiveness. We've got to do our best to engage in conversation. But y'all, we have to remember a watching world. There are other people watching. And your attitude has a broad impact. Watch. There are times when there's somebody else that's watching the conversation that you're having, but they're watching from far enough away that perhaps they can't even hear all the words. They, 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 they don't even know everything. They're picking up a word here or a word there. They're maybe even trying to avoid or ignore it, but what they can see is your body language. And the body language that they see you have is either aggressive or it's non-aggressive. They can see if you're either pointing your finger or you're not pointing your finger, you know, or, I got into a, a heated conversation with a guy um, a couple years ago in, in a public place. And um, for me, when I'm, in my, when I'm at my best, and I'm not always, I'm like you, sometimes I mess up. But when I'm at my best and I find myself in those situations, I'm trying to find a way out. My goal is always de-escalation. Right? So if, if somebody's offended or they're upset, I'm trying my best to ratchet the thing down. And so I was in this situation, a public setting. Um, this guy's just breathing fire at me. I'm still not 100% sure at the time, like, what's going on? And, but one of the things, so I'm, I'm 6'1". You know, at the time, I was like 230 pounds. I'm, I'm not a small human. I get that. I got this big beard, and I'm loud. And so what I do in those moments is I'm, I'm always backing up. That's my first step. I'm going to create space because I want this person to know, no matter how mad they are at me, I'm not coming at them. If I can, I'm going to sit down. Because once I sit down, I'm just going ahead and just ceding the victory to them at that, mo at that moment. right? If, if you want to do this, that's fine. You're standing over me. You're breathing your fire at me. That's fine. But I'm going to sit right here. Now, that day, it was hard because this guy was really not kind. He was not nice. And so, like, at, at, you ever been there where they just keep talking and you find yourself at one point, you're like, you're coming up out of your chair and you're grabbing onto the chair. No, no, I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going to stand up. I'm gonna, we're going to do the right thing and we're going to move on. Listen, that thing passed by. A month and a half later, I'm in another place and I had a guy that came to me. I had a guy that, I was sitting at Starbucks and this guy stops. He goes, hey man, I was there that day when all that stuff went down. I said, oh, okay, no big deal. He said, what, what came? I said, man, I don't know. It's, I don't, I don't, I'm not worried about it. And, and he, his was his response. His response was he couldn't believe the way that I reacted in that moment. He wasn't a part of that conversation. He wasn't a part of that situation, but he was watching. And as a result, I had an opportunity to invite that guy to our church. Now, he hasn't shown up yet, right? But, well, but, that's funny, yeah. But, but, but it established an opportunity for a relationship. I got to invite that guy again this week, right? I mean, it's been an ongoing opportunity that came about as a result of him watching my interaction when I didn't even really know he was around. Y'all, the world is watching, and y'all, they know that you go here, just for the record. They know you're a Christian, and they know you go to Malvern Hill. Some of y'all got the sticker on the back of your car. I still ain't figured out which one of y'all I got the call about that cut somebody off in traffic and used a little bit of sign language. I'm not happy about that. I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't do that again. Okay, Take the sticker off your car or behave, but do not do that. I'm going to start making y'all sign your name and like license plate number before you get a sticker and put it on your car. I know. No, we've been watching you. You don't get the sticker. No, no. But remember this watching world. Remember. And then keep in mind that the primary recipient 
may not be the person you expect. So, so just like our positive attitude and actions can have an impact, some years back I, I did a thing at uh, one of our schools, and um, I, I've done this at several of our schools. I did a prayer walk thing, and I offended somebody at that school. I, I still don't really know what I did. I don't understand how I did it, but I, I knew a lot of people there, so I was very, you know, very comfortable in that place. And I said something that somebody took as being just uh, very arrogant and, and dismissive of others. Um, and, I, and it bothered me. Like when it finally came around to me months later, it, it made its way back around because this person said something to somebody else, and it, it got to me. And uh, of course, I shared with a few people in, uh, in here, and I, I have such supportive church members here. I was like, man, I can't believe. And they look at me, of course, you can't believe you're arrogant. What a jerk. Um, but um, uh, but I, I asked some folks there, no, there was not, you know, nobody could pinpoint anything I'd done. I, I still don't know. But when I found out, man, I, I went to that person. I went to that person. I, I, as soon as I had the opportunity to find that person, I said, I understand that I have offended you. And I am sorry. I, I, I would have never, ever done that on purpose. And I'm, I'm terribly sorry. You know, well, man, that was awkward for everybody involved. Me, that person, like, I mean, the whole situation just gets kind of uncomfortable at that place. But I had messed up. And, and I, I, had, I had allowed the watching world to think something about me and about our church. So I had to go make it right. I still to this day don't think I did anything wrong, but I would have been wrong to have not made an effort to make it right. You understand? I had an opportunity to go pay a tax I didn't owe, and it didn't really cost me that much other than a little bit of discomfort. You know what happened? Some months, fast forward on down the line, that person came visit our church. All because, all because I, just, I just paid attention to the world that was watching around, and I tried to make it right. Y'all, sometimes, sometimes our target is not the person we're speaking to. Let's back back up to our text. That matters. So verse 23 of chapter 5. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said to King Agrippa and all who were present with us, See this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. So... Uh, but let's focus on Grippa and Bernice came with great pomp and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Paul is speaking before King Agrippa. Paul probably has a pretty good idea that he's not going to convert Agrippa. Okay? Now, we're going to keep fast-forwarding through the text and Agrippa is at one point going to say, Paul, are you trying to convert me too? And Paul says, oh yeah, you and everybody else. That's what I'm here for, right? I signed up for that one. But Paul understands, like he's standing before a man who loves his own majesty. He loves, you know, this, this pomp, this word pomp. John MacArthur, I appreciate it. He reminds us that that same word is, is fantasia. So if you see the Disney movie Fantasia and all the excitement that goes in, the same idea, right? It's just fancy. It's, it's wild. They've got all their stuff. And, and they're every, this, how much can they do to make themselves look important? Okay. And yet they've got all of these military men and they've got the prominent men of the city. Paul probably knows that he's not going to convince Agrippa who loves his position and is living in an incestuous relationship with his sister. He's probably not going to convince Agrippa to convert to Jesus right there on the spot. But here's what he knows. He knows that the person he's talking to might not be the person. He knows that. 
He knows that there's somebody else overhearing that conversation that might, might trust the gospel. Listen, y'all, if we're going to make an impact beyond the walls of our church, we got to remember the world around us is watching. And they're watching in all of our encounters. They're watching the way you speak to the waitress at the restaurant. They're watching the way you parent your children. I promise you school just started back and you can pray for your teachers today. All those teachers are watching the way that you react to them. Right? I mean, we, we've, got, we've got some lots of Christian people in our schools who are just desperately hoping that Christian parents will show up to teacher conferences and act like Christians so that when they're talking to these teachers about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they're not having their legs cut out from under them by some mom showing up and breathing fire down their neck because of whatever. Right? That they're looking for people to look like Jesus and act like Jesus when they walk in the door. The world is watching. What are they going to find? So our question this morning is pretty simple. To whom are you talking? Now, obviously that brings with it the idea that you better be talking to somebody about Jesus, right? But also just the reality that you're communicating with a lot more people than you realize. You're communicating with them in verbal ways and nonverbal ways. You're communicating with them in the way that you send emails and text messages and phone calls. You're communicating with them in the way that you spend your time. You're communicating with them in the way that you spend your resources. The world's watching. And they're listening. What are they hearing from you? So this morning, as our musicians come, I would remind you that you don't always know that you're representing Christ, but you are. Some of you today may desire just to come and pray and just say, you know what, Lord, I've not represented you well in the world at all. There's nothing about my life that has consistently represented Jesus. I've been, a, I've been an ungodly boss. I've been an ungodly parent. I've, I've been an ungodly community member. As a result, I've probably driven people away from Jesus instead of towards Jesus. Lord, I've, I've, I've not... I've not held my kids accountable and responsible. I've been a friend to them, but I've not been a, a Christian leader to them. And God, I need your forgiveness. There are other people in the community, Lord, that don't see me as a follower of Jesus. They see me as something else. And God, for that, I need to repent. Some of you, that's where you are today. If that's where you are, I would encourage you today to repent before the Lord. You may do that in your seat. You may come up here and pray. You might ask me to pray with you. I'd love to do that. But there's some of you here today that don't have a relationship at all with Jesus Christ. Some of you walked in the door today, not real thrilled to death to be here, because you've had those people who claim to be followers of Jesus to not act like Jesus. If that's you today, let me just ask you this. Would you stop judging Jesus by a few of his wayward followers, and would you instead today trust that Jesus is enough regardless of what anybody else has ever told you? Would you trust that Jesus is enough? As we sing, I want to invite you to come and trust Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, I love you, praise you, and thank you. Thank you for Jesus who is enough, Lord God, as we consider what it looks like to represent you well to the world. Pray, God, you give us conviction to honor you with our lives. Forgive us for our sin. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please.